Hey everybody, Bob Olson here with Afterlife TV. You can find us at afterlifetv.com. This is where we search for evidence of life after death and ask the meaningful questions around that subject. Today we're going to be talking about solving crimes and finding missing persons using psychic ability. We're going to discover what's possible and what the limitations are. We have our own psychic sleuth here who has been doing this for 18 years. Uh, I will say that... um, I've seen her do it on uh, TV and documentary type uh, things. Uh, as a former private investigator who really wishes uh, you were on my team back then, that would have made things a lot easier. Uh, I have never seen anybody do it better. Um, I am so impressed with this woman uh, that uh, it's the reason that I'm having her here today. She's amazing. We can learn a lot about uh, the process. We can learn a lot about... Uh, the afterlife from her, from her own unique experience. Uh, let's introduce her. Her name's Pam Coronado. Pam, thanks for joining us on Afterlife TV. Well, thanks for having me, Bob. Yeah, this is very exciting to me. Uh, first saw you in 2005. Uh, you were on Mediums We See Dead People. I think that was a two-hour special. You were on the Mediums. Uh, you did your thing. Uh, you were finding a missing person in that case, were you? Yep, we were working on a missing persons case. Mm-hmm. Uh, then um, the next thing that I saw was in 2012. You were on two episodes of The Unexplained. Same same process. You were going through that. Again, blown away. I always feel like you steal the show, uh, and uh, at least for me. And then uh, I learned that you had, uh, I don't know how I missed this, but you had a series uh, where you and Lori Campbell were co-stars of Sensing Murder. Sensing Murder is 2006-2007. I found all the episodes on Amazon. You could instantly download them. I got a Mm -hmm. Roku box, and I did it through there, but you could do it right on your computer. Um, And wow, uh, boy, that was fun. I I recommend anybody watch those and and just be blown away by uh, by what you do. And 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 as we go along, I'm going to talk about some of the things that really impressed me about that. Um, So uh, exciting, exciting. And I know there's more. One of the few people I've interviewed that I know has. What, like six or seven things on IMDb? I mean, you really you become somebody if you're on IMDb. Right, right. So anyways, tell us about your background. How would you get into being a psychic detective? It's pretty cool. Well, yeah, you know, like I was not, uh, it was definitely not what I was planning when I was in high school. I never sat and thought, you know, I think I'd like to become a psychic detective. I was actually studying uh, architecture and design at UCLA when I started having this uh, series of dreams, nightmares. I just started getting plagued with nightmares. And at the time I had, my kids were little. I had three kids and they were rage, like one to, uh, I think the youngest was one and the oldest was four, uh, maybe five. So, um, so it was sort of creating chaos in my life that I really wasn't welcoming at, the, at that point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I dreamed about a, a woman who went missing locally. And, um, and in the dream, I guess I had an empathic um, experience of being her. Okay. So, um, so I won't go into the whole, all the details of the dream other than that I was riding in the backseat of a car 
wow. in the dream. And the person in front of me was uh, my husband, but it was a person that I've never laid eyes on before. But in the dream, I knew this was my husband. Oh, wow. And the there was a person in the front seat with him, a female. And I knew that that was his girlfriend and that they were going to kill me. I realized that they were going to kill me. Whoa. So um, I looked out the window. This is still in the dream. Yeah. I looked out the window, and I can still remember it like it was yesterday. There was an angel flying outside the car and waving, like, come with me. And I did. <laughs> uh, because that was preferable to wherever we were going. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and then I had this experience of going with her to what I could only describe as heaven, to uh, a big castle and these huge walls and a feeling of... Um, more reverence than I've ever felt in my entire life as in, I don't know if I belong here or deserve to be here or it was a really overwhelming feeling. And the dream was so vivid that I, you know, obviously I wrote everything down that I could remember because it was just incredible. I'd never had a dream like that. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know what was happening and I didn't tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> Just because, you know, it's kind of strange. And then um, about three days later, I think it was, I was reading the paper and I I didn't know what to think. I mean, it was the most incredible life-changing moment ever because there was a picture of the man in my dream. Oh, wow. And his wife was missing and he was the prime suspect. No kidding. So, um, so my whole world sort of started crumbling at that point. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, they uh, and, I, and you know anybody who watched the TV show Medium, you know, would recognize. You know, a lot of her stuff came in dreams, and um, and we could talk more about that in a minute. But uh, so much in that one story, you there's so much in that story uh, that we can talk about. Um, for one. Uh, you know, you must have woke up and, uh, well, I should say, once you read this this newspaper article, what do you do with that, right? This is the big question. What do you do well, with I that? Well, I did nothing with that. Uh, um, for one, I was just really embarrassed. I, you know, how do you go tell someone you had a dream and you think that you were getting murdered? <laughs> yeah. You know? And this is all new to you? I mean, so you haven't had a lot of sort of what you might call psychic-related experiences before this? None. No. I mean, as a kid, I was intuitive, but I, I never realized I was any different than anyone else. I just thought everybody was insightful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just thought I was insightful. Yeah. And so uh, all of a sudden you have this. Was there anything you th that, in hindsight, you know, you hit your head, you're, you know, anything you've been meditating recently that might have precipitated this? I have no idea. They, you know, I don't know if it was the, my hormones because I've had three kids in four years or, yeah. you know, something, something like that, maybe. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> So, uh, and, and I know, you know, I know people who have young children now, um, and, and that's, it would be the last thing that they would want in, the, in their life. You know, like, <laughs> I, I don't have a, a breath to myself right here. And, 
and and now I have this on my shoulders. Uh, mm -hmm. What did you do with it? Yeah, for a while I did nothing. I was really hoping it was just uh, one freak incident. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, and then one night I saw the news and and I started following the case obsessively, honestly. As you would. There was a there was a news report and the and it turns out it, it's all just very complicated. But it turns out I went to high school with this woman who was missing, oh. and so I knew some of the parties involved not well, but I had gone to school with all of them. So um, so I saw the mother and the grandmother on the news, and they were crying, and they were asking if anybody had any insight, any. Tips, any anything, please come forward and tell the police. So, um, I really started feeling guilty for letting my my fear and my pride and everything else get in the way. So I decided um, instead of going and calling police unsolicited or something, I would go down and volunteer for the search because they were having a search every weekend. So I would just go down and volunteer for the search and. If there happened to be anybody there that I could tell, then I would, you know, tell. Otherwise, yeah. I would just go search. Right. And um, and it turns out that uh, the person that was leading the search was actually a good friend, uh, somebody else I went to high school with. Okay. And I felt pretty confident telling him my dream because I knew he wouldn't think I, you know, was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Or, you know, I knew that he would you know, take it well. Right. And so it was a safe, it was a safe little situation for me to, um, you know, sort of take my first wobbly steps into this field. But uh, all along, you know, I kept telling him, I'm not a psychic. This isn't me. This is, I just had this dream and I think it'll help and. And they would ask me questions, you know, it was a weird, the weirdest day of my life. I ended up talking to the detective and going to the house where he was then coming in face to face with the suspect. And it, it was the weirdest day of my life, really. <laughs> I've had several after that, but. <laughs> yeah, right. But to that point, that was the strangest thing that had ever happened to me. Was this friend that you saw during the search, high school friend, uh, was he, was it he? Uh, mm -hmm. Was he the first person that you told? Uh, didn't tell any other yeah. family members or anything? You just, did, yeah. did they, did anybody else know that you were even going to go help with this search? No, I think, you know, obviously just my husband, because I was supposed to be at school that day and I decided to uh, go ahead and, and play hooky and, or I thought, I kept thinking, I'll just go down there and give them a couple of tips. Maybe, hopefully, we'll go to the first place, second place, and we'll find her, and then I can go to school. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was thinking was going to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, did, uh, now, it's interesting. So what you said about the dream, uh, now you know, after doing so many of the, these, um, you, you know what, what normally would be helpful to police and what would not be helpful to police. Um, right. uh, mm -hmm. Was there anything in the dream as far as location that was helpful in that dream? Uh, maybe yeah. There, yeah. There was. That's what made it so significant is that, you know, I was driving along in the car looking out the window. Yeah. So I 
got a sense of where where we were driving around. And it actually turned out not to be exactly where I mentally, where I had decided it was, yep. but it matched visually. Yeah. Okay. And, and, you know, just to make, finish up the story, she was found that day. I wasn't with the group, the founder, yep. but we just got out maps and started highlighting all the areas that sort of matched my description. Yeah. And uh, we just, you know, one by one eliminated them until, until they found her that day. I mean, talk about, you know, a whack on the side of the head. Hey, Pam, you're supposed to go in this direction. <laughs> it's like, what a wake-up call. Uh, amazing. Uh, how, how much longer after this uh, did you maybe have your second experience? <clears throat> yeah, that's what's so funny is I thought, okay, that was weird. And now I can go back to school and things and have my kids and my family and things will go back to normal. Yeah. It, it couldn't have been more than a week oh. where I got a call from someone. <clears throat> and it was really funny because, you know, she, her daughter was missing and she was frantic. And I said, how in the world did you even get my number? And she said, well, I talked to his name was John, and she said he was the one that was in charge of the search party in the other case, and he gave her my number. <clears throat> I see. I see. So I told her, you know, I said, I didn't dream about your daughter. I don't know how to help you. <laughs> yeah. Because I didn't dream about her, so I don't, and I'm not a psychic. I don't know what I'm doing. Right. And um, <clears throat> they eventually convinced me to... Um, I don't even know where it came up, but they convinced me to be medi to um, hypnotized. Oh. And so uh, <clears throat> I guess it was a, a psychic that had done crime work before. She hypnotized me and started asking me questions. And I thought I was just making stuff up. It seemed like I was making yeah. stuff up. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> that turned out to be um, another pretty, pretty big case that got solved quickly that um from LA from Los Angeles so well, and with with the help that you gave them <clears throat> yeah in that case they they found her they had the girl yep uh, by the time I got involved but she was from my town which is 60 miles north of Los Angeles so her body had been found in Los Angeles oh. and um so so they were really looking for a, a suspect. They were looking for the the person that did this. And, you know, like I said, I, I was new at this and just kind of learning. And I made a lot of mistakes out in the field. But um, I kept hearing his name as Rosen. I thought his name was Rosengrin. And I described a lot of things about his personality and his relationship to the girl which got the mother thinking about someone that she knew yeah. and she gave his name to the detectives. And when they ran him, um, he had a prior incidents. And so they had DNA on him and it turns out that was him. Wow. Uh, but his name was Robinson. <laughs> so close. I, right. 
Yeah. Working on, working on my intuitive hearing. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, exactly. Uh, oh my God. Your mind must've been blown because, uh, you know, again, first, okay, you have a dream. So you have a dream. You understand, we know what dreams are. You have a dream, but this is a very lucid, vivid dream. Um, so this is unusual. All right. So that pushes you in that. But now all of a sudden you're pushed into the second case and don't even know you're really a psychic. And, and so they use hypnotism, which is basically deep meditation to right. ask you questions and get more information, which again leads to solving this crime. It's, uh, right. it's amazing to me. Uh, there's people all over the world who are searching for their purpose in life. Yours just falls right down on top of your head. <laughs> right. And for the first time ever, after this started happening, for the first time ever, I finally figured out that this is what I wanted to. Yeah. It, it took a while. Yeah. I fought it for a while. But I started to realize this is where I feel like I finally fit. Like, this is it for me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, which is awesome, right? I mean, there's no better feeling, you know. Uh, I get that doing these things. I just, you know, nothing, nothing brings me more energy and enthusiasm to life than than doing these. And and this is the kind of work that you do. Um, all right, so we we recognize now. This leads you into being uh, what you call a psychic detective. Uh, for those who maybe don't know, or maybe they sort of they think they know, but you might have a, a better definition. How would you sort of describe what a psychic detective is or does? Yeah, it's funny because I used to, I used to not like that term and I tried everything else, intuitive investigator and yeah. nobody knew what that was and <laughs> yeah. it was confusing to people. So I just went back to calling myself a psychic detective. There you go. But you know, a psychic detective has so many roles, um, from helping with missing persons cases to helping identify suspects, vehicles, weapons. There's a whole range of things that a psychic detective can can help with. Yeah. For me, I've sort of fallen into the missing persons uh, case, and I think and I have my own foundation. I started my own foundation a few years ago. Um, still trying to get it, you know, up and running, but. Um, that's really, I think, where my heart landed is on missing persons cases, just because it's so, um, it's just so gut-wrenching to see these families where, where the department has um, sort of thrown in the towel. Yeah. Not that I blame them, but, you know, they run out of resources, they run out of leads, they don't know what to do next, so they sort of stop, and, right. and the families don't have anybody to turn to. So That's right. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to talk about it later, but I'm going to mention for those people who don't, don't continue to listen all the way through to the end, Project Search for Hope, projectsearchforhope.org <laughs> is the name of that organization that you founded. Uh, if people want to check that out, yeah. and, and I highly recommend anybody uh, who can recognize the benefit to this to help you know, donate um, their money, donate their time, resources, whatever it may be, uh, and they can learn more about it. Uh, there, the links will all be in the show notes, of course, below this video. But uh, Project Search for Hope org, O-R-G. Um, so um, you know, it's so interesting. Obviously, you had to learn as you went along, and I'm going to mention now again. We'll talk more about it later. That you're now offering a course to teach 
uh, psychics and mediums who want to do this work how to do it. Um, I, I checked out that course. Um, again, as a private investigator who now <laughs> understands psychics and mediums, I, I couldn't have been more elated uh, go, taking the course myself and so excited about the things that you teach people. You're so grounded. You're, you're the perfect link between the police and, and the psychics, uh, and you're able to pull it all together. We'll talk more about that, but, uh, and that's on your website, pamcoronado.com. Again, in the show notes, there's the link, and uh, I highly recommend it, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. But for you... It was more of a trial and error. You didn't have this wonderful course to sort of set you straight and get you going. Um, right. And uh, uh, but you did pick up a mentor some, somewhere along the way. How long? How long did it take before you found someone to sort of mentor you through this? It, it was a few years. It was a few years that I was sort of you know out there on my own. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I met uh, <clears throat> her name was Beverly Jagers. And she had a group called the USI Squad, USPSI Squad. Oh, yeah. And uh, some people probably are familiar with her. But um, she, she developed quite a name for herself as a, as a psychic detective. And she had a group. And I was really intrigued by her because she had this little group. She believed anybody could learn to be psychic, that it's sort of inherent in all of us. I see. And so she had a little group of police officers, law enforcement, either retired or active, and she was teaching them how to do this work. Oh, nice. Yeah. So that was intriguing to me. But then, you know, she took me under her wing, and and I was already, uh, you know, learning how to do the psychic work, but she really taught me what detectives want yeah, and what's helpful for them and what's not helpful for them. And she made a big difference for me, especially in that regard. Well, yeah, uh, you know, that's that was definitely one of my questions because it's, um, you know, I've done a little bit of this uh, myself only because you can't help um, to not run across it every once in a while. Uh, I, I had this one experiment sort of, I, I saw it as an experiment where um, I was slightly involved in a missing persons case and uh, I thought, um, this was a few years ago. I had hundreds of people on bestpsychicdirectory.com and and uh, psychics and mediums who were listed there, and I had all their email addresses. So I just emailed out, "Hey, if anybody's you know gets a hit on this, wants to you know give some information, just send it to me, and and we'll go from there." Well, we had over a hundred people <laughs> respond, yeah. and it was quite a lesson for me because. Um, uh, some of the stuff, a lot of the stuff that you talk about in your course, but you know, first of all, uh, one of the things I will say now, I get your confirmation on this, it's so much better to work with one uh, psychic who knows what they're doing in this work um, ongoingly than to work with a hundred sort of randomly, you know, who are sort of got one foot in the door. Do you not agree? I agree. Yeah. yeah, it's just it becomes really super confusing and overwhelming, and <clears throat> that's yeah. why you know I always um, caution people not to call unsolicited to to police departments because they're probably getting five hundred calls. <sighs> easily. You know, a high profile case they probably get anywhere between five, six, 
700 calls from psychics and mediums <laughs> from psychics. Oh my and, God. You know, and I've had these detectives tell me that it's really frustrating for them because, you know, a psychic gets very excited. I understand this because I am one. So I understand how you can get really excited about a dirt path in the woods, <laughs> you know, cause you're like, I got something. I know where she is. I got a dirt path in the woods. Yeah. But you call the detective and uh, they're not thrilled with that. Because, no. Because uh, that's not helpful. <laughs> no, no. Uh, it, it's not helpful at all. And we did. And we got so much of that. And, and, and I wanted to be kind and compassionate to the psychics and mediums because they were, they were sweet enough to want to help. Uh, yeah. But we got a lot of that, you know, they're by water, you know, there's a big rock nearby. And, and this was, this case was in Vermont, you know, it's mostly forest, right. <laughs> a zillion rocks and creeks. Yeah, yeah exactly. So anyways, uh, so one of the first things I, I learned um, really uh, from that was that most of psychics and mediums just don't know what detectives need. They don't right. recognize what detectives need. And um, you, um, you, you obviously learned from trial and error. You learned from your mentor. Um, but one of the things you recommend in your course is that people, it's so interesting because you did it, mm -hmm. go out and volunteer as a search member not as a psychic, not right. so you can do what you did, which is try to find someone who can, you can give your psychic messages to, to become a search member so you can learn what's helpful, what, what would be helpful and what would not be helpful in terms of these messages that they are getting. Uh, you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, I mean, until you've been out there in the woods, uh, you just don't realize how all of these details and how having, a, a, you know, a really detailed description of a location is so necessary, but you just, as a psychic, it seems easy on paper. It really seems easy when you're getting this because you're thinking, I know where she is. I got it. You know, there's this curvy road and there's a Creek right there. And, yeah. and how could they not know where this is? Well, as soon as you get out into the real big wide world, you know, you realize that uh, it's much harder than it, it appears. Yeah. Yeah, it really, it really is now. And so I thought that was great advice. Um, and, um, yeah, it, I'll interrupt you for a second. Yeah, please do. Now I tell people when they say, well, you know, should I call, what should I do with this information? And I always say, well, just look at it objectively. And if, can you follow up on it? Would you be able to go out and find this place that you're describing yourself. Yeah. And if they say no, then I say, don't call it. It's <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Uh, great. And, and, and um, now how do you feel uh, about um, if they decide to sort of uh, try to follow up on some of the messages that they got? Do you recommend that or not recommend it uh, on their own? Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you have to be safe and, and sane about it. Yeah. You know, I don't recommend people going off out into the woods by themselves, but um, yeah, definitely. I do recommend it because they can always call 911 if they, if they find something. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. And yeah. And like you say, be safe. I, uh, I, 
what I was thinking about was how um, I say out of it was a little over a hundred responses that we got. Um, very fascinating. That and I think it's important for people to know. We had a, a percentage, good percentage of people who were mediums and 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 psychics. We had about fifty fifty, but we had a good percentage of both psychics and mediums who were sure that the person ha- was deceased. Just mm-hmm. as many, almost equal amount, said sure he was alive, right? Yeah. Um, and then uh, others who were sure that he was still in the state and, and a, a, a big percentage who had had these elaborate stories about how he had gotten to somebody else's truck and was in Texas or Colorado, all sorts <laughs> of other places. So you can see, you know, you can see how this could become very confusing and there's just not enough resources to run all of those things down. Another example of why so much better to work with one person. And if people watch this uh, Sensing Murder series that you had, uh, I saw it on Amazon, um, they really get a sense of how uh, initially, um, you know, you get your information without knowing anything. Tell us a little bit about that process, how you would go through it, at least, you know, based on what you did in that show, because it was, it was uh, eye-opening. Yeah, in the show, in the show, you know, they they pushed me, they pushed me to my limits where I was pretty uncomfortable with the process. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Why? Why is that? Um, because I I was trained to work with a photo. I was trained to work with a photo of the person. So whether it was a victim or they were missing or whatever it was. So they refused to give me a photo in that show until I described the person properly. Yeah. So they would give me an object to hold something that belonged to the victim. Yeah. And and they wouldn't give me my photo till I adequately described them. So yeah. uh, that pushed me out of my comfort level. But you know, the less you know about a case up front, the more um it's the easier it people think it's the opposite, but it's actually easier for you because um, you really have nothing to rely on except for your intuition. So it's more likely you'll actually be using your intuition. Yeah. If you have uh, any kind of facts, we call it front loading and in, in remote viewing that that front loading could just wreak havoc. And uh, you don't even realize that it's creating some um, noise in your in your work. Yeah. Cause if you, you know, I do it a lot to my students where I'll give them the photo of a missing woman, for example, and 90%. And a lot of times I'll give them a case where the killer was a female just to see that they're actually working. And you know, 90% of them will come back with a male because that's what they're expecting. Yeah. That's so a great... someone's to come back and say, wait a second, I think, you know, there's something weird about this. And when they, as soon as they start feeling like there's something unusual about it, then I know that they're, they're actually using their intuition. Yeah, they're tapping in. Uh, mm-hmm. And this is, this is true for readings. You know, I, I've always recommended people go to a stranger um, when, when getting a reading, especially if you have any skepticism at all. But, but even uh, later, if you're, if you're working with people who know anything about you, certainly that, that information is going to get in the way. Um, and you never really know if it's coming from intuition or intellect uh, mm-hmm. based on it. One of the other things that you did uh, very, very well um, I noticed right off uh, was that uh, you know what questions to ask yourself now so here we are um, 
we're talking a lot about beginner psychics and mediums, but the police, they're beginners in working with psychics in, in this case. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, and I noticed that because of, because of that fact, you were very good about asking yourself the right questions so that you could get the answer. Or maybe not, you're not really asking yourself, but, um, but asking the right questions. That come from, uh, is there a process that you go through to do that? Well, you know, when I, when Bevy taught me, um, it was she taught me to re, to pretend I was a reporter uh, for any case. So who, what, why, when, and where were were the big questions. And each case, of course, is is different. So you, they might not need the where. Maybe they already found the person, but right. they need to know who and why. Yeah. So that was sort of the basis of having any kind of structure whatsoever for me in the beginning. Cause I had no structure at all. It was just whatever flew in, flew in, yeah. the window, you know? Yeah. Um, and I talk about it like going to the grocery store without a list. If you, if you have no idea what you're trying to get, um, things will come in and then you don't really know which category to put them in for sometimes. Right. Um, you may get a car, but you don't know whose car it is. Yeah. Could be victims, could be the killers, could be a witness. You have no idea. So I try to, I try to short circuit all of that by asking what I'm wanting. Yeah. And then it has some, you know, significance when I get, when I get a response. You also, what you all, the other thing that I loved what you did, uh, uh, you didn't ask questions except uh, to have things confirmed, uh, messages that you were getting to sort of confirm those or or, or not. And but um, you also, um, when you had a message, when you had something that you saw or heard or felt, you just described what it was that you were seeing, feeling, or hearing, as opposed to making an interpretation and labeling it. I've been trying to teach this to psychics and mediums for years. Uh, so excited just to see you do that. Um, yeah. Nothing's better than watching someone actually practice that, do that in practice. And uh, where did you learn to do that? Because uh, that allows the, um, in this case, the police, uh, the opportunity to make their own interpretations based on exactly what you're seeing rather than what your interpretation of that is. Well, how I learned it was by being embarrassed a bunch of times. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I learned it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I really learned that, you know, you, it took a while. It takes a while to, to really get this concept, but, um, you know, if I go into a case blind and I don't know very much about it, um, it's a pretty big ego that says, I'm going to make this all make sense for you who happens to have all of this background information. Yeah. Um, so I realized I don't know better than they do. I don't know anything. All I can give them is what I'm getting. Yeah. And it leaves less room for misinterpretation. Right. Um, it was actually a sensing murder, one of the sensing murder shows that I did this, actually. I think it was the pilot. I um, I saw this violent confrontation, and I saw arms flailing around, and I saw blood yeah. on the victim. That's what I saw. Yeah. What I said was... I heard you. I remember this, yeah. She's being stabbed. Yeah. And, uh, and when the detective looked at me and said no, then I was totally lost. I didn't know what to do. I mean, I was just lost. And 
he saw me struggling and eventually he said, um, you know, did you see a knife? And all of a sudden I realized, oh, no, <laughs> I didn't see a knife. Wow. And so that was just a huge, that was a huge lesson for me in not making those mental leaps and making assumptions. Yeah. It was beautiful. I recognized it. I never saw you do it again. I saw you do it that one time. And you eventually did get later that it was a bat. Uh, well, you didn't say it was bat. You said that she was hit with something, you know, a blunt mm -hmm. object kind of thing. Um, and, uh, but, which again is a better description than saying bat because, you know, anything can look like a bat. Um, but I saw that I, my, you know, being the empath, I, my heart went out to you immediately <laughs> and felt the uh, awkward moment. But I yeah. loved, I loved the recovery on it. I love the, uh, what that taught uh, everybody, in, in, especially psychics and mediums, by watching that. And uh, I thought it was a great example. And I, and I knew it was unusual for you. Uh, and, and I knew why you did it, too, because there was. You know, there was obviously a lot of blood. And we just yeah. make assumptions. It's very hard not to, right? It, it really is. And you have to. That's what I really learned uh, through making several mistakes is that just report what you see and try not to, you know, wrap it up and put it in a pretty, pretty package. Um, you know, and I have students do it to me all the time. When they come to me with a big scenario and say, I've got this thing all figured out. Yeah. You know, I, I'm suspicious immediately. <laughs> immediately. <laughs> I'm like, you should be confused and it should be coming in bits and pieces and it should make no sense to you. And uh, the more confused you are, the better usually. And, and that sort of humbleness comes from uh, working with a bunch of skeptics, the police, uh, for the most part, I'm sure most of them are, um, and, and running into walls, you know, in that way, making that mistake uh, enough times so that you begin to uh, preempt what, what they're going to be thinking and you stop saying those things that make, you, make them question you. Um, right. you know how your, how, how your ability works. They don't know how their, your ability works. Uh, I always thought that the communication between the two, the police and the psychics, that was the issue. They just didn't understand how the ability works. So when you got something wrong, it had this big exclamation mark next to it, as opposed right. to just recognizing, no, she just needs more information. She just needs to work more on it. Um, let's keep going here. But instead, it sort of stops everything for a moment and makes them start to question you, doesn't it? Yeah, and the thing about detectives, you know, it's just part of their training, is they take everything literally. Yeah. So um, it's hard for them to, to not really take everything you say literally and understand that some things could be, um, you could have 90% of it right, but 10% of it's wrong, that they have to make allowances for some of it not being, you know, um, so for example, if I say, um, you know, I see a truck, um, and I think it's silver and it turns out to be a white truck. Yeah. They have to understand that that's sort of the way it works and, and not just get locked into the fact that we're looking for a silver truck. Now we have to find a silver truck. Right. They have to sort of learn to understand the, the information that comes in. Well, you know, I would think that they would be used to that. They need to apply some of the things that they already know on their own um, to what you're doing. For instance, I mean, as a PI, 
you know, if I was investigating an accident scene, I might I might uh, get statements from five different people um, who all saw the accident, and they're they're going to give me all kinds of colors of the different vehicles. You know what right. I mean? That's just very right. common. In fact, you know, no two uh, statements are ever going to be exactly alike. You know, even mm-hmm. the order of things can be mixed up with uh, different people, and it's amazing how how different these people who all saw the same thing can describe what happened. And right. so that happens just normally uh, if they can understand that that same thing applies with psychics and mediums, then that would be helpful to them. I noticed, I, I don't know if it was in your course or if it was the last episode. I wanted to watch the last episode to see how things had changed from the early episodes of sensing murder. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I, I, I feel like you said it there, but you said, one of the things that you really liked is that when a police officer or detective is is new at this, if they're new at this, then they kind of ask you to tell them how to do it properly. What what kind of questions should they be asking? What should they be doing? Uh, how is that helpful? I love when they do that. I love when they let themselves be vulnerable because I'm vulnerable. So I love when they let themselves be vulnerable and say, you know what, this is brand new to me. You're a tool that I don't know how to use, so tell me what you need to succeed. And that really, because um, one of the things detectives, you know, and they're trained, they're, they know not to do this, but they get excited working with me and they forget, but not to lead the witness. So I always tell them, treat me just like a witness. Don't feed me information. Yeah. Just question me about the things that I'm already telling you instead of leading me. Cause there's a great example I give all the time and, and it's a detective I ended up working with for a really long time, but I was describing a church and um, she got really excited and said, is there a graveyard in the front? <laughs> and I said, well, there is now. And there <laughs> always will be. So I don't know. <laughs> right. So, it's those leading questions that really, you know, wreck havoc on uh, intuition. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. Very interesting. Uh, again, intellect, intuition, uh, they can mess each other up. Uh, you got to try to keep them as separate as possible. You know, you talked earlier about how you like, uh, you prefer to find missing persons. Um, sensing murder was more about solving crimes, but it involved missing persons. How often does a missing person's case turn into uh, a crime? Oh, man, probably 95% of the time. Oh, wow. wow. It's a high, it's a high, high number. I, I always see the one that somebody um, just ran off or um, something like that. It, it's such a rare, it's such a rare situation. Yeah. So that's why, you know, one of the things I would love to see law enforcement do is treat every single missing person as a homicide up front, just because you can't undo those mistakes that happen early on. Good point. Yeah. You know, uh, you also said something uh, interesting in your course about um, children and, and adult uh, children cases versus adult cases. Do you remember what, mm-hmm. you, remember what you said? Uh, share that with us because it was brilliant. Well, yeah. You know, every, a lot of people go into this field with this, this notion that they want to save children. And um, it didn't take long for me to realize that everybody is somebody's child. So a 30-year-old is still somebody's child. 
And where do you draw the line at 18 or 25 or 30? Yeah. So for me, you know, everybody is still somebody's child. And now somebody's mother or father or, yeah. or other things. So that for me, and, and really... I like adult cases just because they don't get as much time and attention as children's cases. You know, there's the um, National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, and it's huge, and they have all of these resources. And I would really like to see adults' cases, you know, get equal equal attention. Yeah. I mean, even on the news, obviously, more sensational story, more heart-wrenching. Um, they they get at least twice as much time when it's a child mm-hmm. versus it's right. an adult. Adult, you, you're lucky if you see it. Uh, you know, um, with a, ch- a child, you can't miss it. They play it a thousand times, and, and, and the segment's much longer. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, you know, at... I'm sure people are wondering, so I feel like I have to ask, you know, what percentage of these cases that you have helped with, how many have you, how many have you worked on in one way or another? Over a hundred? Oh man. Um, probably, yes, definitely over a hundred. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. What percentage would you say, uh, are solved based on psychic related discoveries? You know, that is the hardest question. I hate that question, actually. Is that, that's <laughs> Sorry. One of the hard- it's okay. I get it all the time, and it's it, it's impossible to answer because, for one, a lot of these detectives go off and I never hear from them again. So yeah. I don't even know if they used the information. I don't know what happened with it. I don't get any feedback. So, half, you know, more than half of them, I have no idea. No, that's uh, a great answer. I, I, I As a PI... The same thing used to happen with me. I never found out what happened. I turned in my report. That was it. You know, unless I happened to think of one, you know, one particular case out of dozens, you know, to to follow up on. You're always focused on the next one, and nobody ever thinks to say, "Hey, Bob, that 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 investigation you did really right. helped us out." <laughs> exactly. They don't come back and go, "Hey, thanks a lot." Thanks no. For that. Yeah, no. No. Yeah, they were, they were afraid I would ask for more money or something, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, a big, uh, big question. Um, tell us about the difference between using psychic ability versus, versus mediumistic ability in doing this work and, and which one you prefer. Yeah, that one's always kind of surprising to people, but I do not, I do not use mediumship in my, in my crime work. Um, it's really kind of interesting because, you know, the dead or alive question came up earlier. And um, you would think that if you're a medium, that would be an easy, an easy answer to uh, an easy question. And it turns out to be extremely uh, difficult and confusing. So I actually rely on only my psychic abilities and stay away from mediumship because it confuses issues more. Um, yeah. And I've also found, you know, and this is the part that is kind of surprising to people, that um, you may not get accurate information from a spirit who is communicating with you um, <clears throat> because sometimes they have their own agenda. They, you know, um, in fact, that first case that I worked on that I told you about the dream, yeah, actually 
um, she insisted, I, she came through to me in a mediumship way and insisted, um, this is later obviously, um, insisted that her husband had nothing to do with her her murder oh jeez yeah i know <laughs> thank you so, yeah right uh, okay thank <laughs> you. Uh, but i think she just didn't she was still protecting him or you know she didn't want the kids to lose their both of their parents or whatever her agenda was but yeah. uh you know i mean i was shocked that a spirit i thought that they were all perfect you know <laughs> yeah yeah but they went went back over there and all of a sudden they were enlightened and perfect and, and lying is impossible <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i was kind of shocked um and a lot of times if you get that question too you know you just get this big nothing answer who killed you yeah you just get this big non-answer so i don't know if it's like they're not allowed to tell you or I, I don't understand that phenomena, but I've seen it over and over. Well, you know, it's interesting because um, my theory on this has always been that um, if, a, if a person's missing and, and they're not meant to be found, uh, you know, or a crime has been committed and it's not meant to be solved. And when I say that, I mean because it doesn't just involve that one person or those two people. It involves uh, everybody around it, all the family members, all the loved ones. You know, everybody who's involved is having an experience mm -hmm. that they get to take back, you know, to the spirit world for all eternity. These are lessons that we're all learning. And I believe that some of it is set up uh, a little bit meant to be in that um, these are lessons that we're learning that, uh, that our soul would like us to learn. So sometimes I, I, my theory on it is some cases are just not meant to be solved. Some people are not meant to be found. Uh, what's your experience on that? I actually do agree with that. I do agree with that. And I also um, feel like sometimes a spirit doesn't want their family members to be the ones to find them. They don't want them to be traumatized that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, and, and sometimes I wonder if it's just a timing thing. They're not supposed to be found until yeah. you know, some some point in the distant future or and and that's where a psychic detective that's where i had to sort of really get in line with my own spiritual soul self and understand that i'm just another pawn in this whole big game mm -hmm. and um i can't take it all so personally you yeah. know i do the best job that i can do yeah and that's all i can do and that it's really um not about me you know i'm just another another piece in this big puzzle yeah, I, I think uh, I think there is a surrender that we have to do uh, in reference to things like that. Uh, it, it, this happens in all of life. We find ourselves in a situation. You find yourself on a particular case. The, mm -hmm. the, the infinite number of things that must take place for you to actually end up on a case, you have to believe that it was all meant to be, whether or not that case uh, gets solved, all wrapped up the way we would like to with a pretty bow or not, um, everybody who's involved is having an experience that I believe that they're supposed to have. And like you said, some of that experience is, yeah, it will get solved. Just not going to be solved today. It might be solved 
three years from now. And we have to accept that. And from your perspective, um, I'm sure that can really mess with your mind uh, because if it's not meant to be solved, what am I doing this for? But right. yeah. Well, you know, yeah, I had to battle that a lot because, um, you know, there have been definitely times where I felt like quitting. I really felt like quitting and thought, why am I even doing this? Because it's like looking for a needle in a haystack sometimes. Yeah. But then, um, but then I realized, um, I've actually gotten the message in meditation a few times too, is, is maybe the result isn't, isn't actually what um, what counts to the family, you know, the, the point that somebody's helping them and somebody's trying and somebody's looking is really what counts. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's kind of, you know, I think the, um, the Malaysian flight that went missing has been a really interesting case for me because you know, it's sort of what we deal with day in and day out happening on a big major um, stage yeah. and people seeing how a whole plane can just get swallowed up and disappear somehow, um, how big the world becomes. Yeah. Um, but they haven't given up. I mean, they have just poured millions and millions and millions of dollars and time and effort and Tears. I mean, I've watched these guys look like, you know, they get, they ride the same roller coaster I ride where you get all excited and you think this is it, we got it. And then you don't find anything and you're discouraged and tired and dirty and sweaty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. No kidding. Um, but, you know, that was one of the things about sensing murder and even the unexplained cases. I, you know, most of those things were not wrapped up and, and, mm -hmm. and it's so not uh, United States, Hollywood, you know, happy ending. <laughs> right. I, I actually think it's one of the reasons some of these shows don't last longer Yeah, uh, is because that's what people want. They want these right. happy endings. Uh, and, uh, but, but you're living it and, and you're, personally involved in these things we watch it you know we watch it for an hour and then we we move on we think about something else you're you know you're out in the in 90 degree weather in a you know in the swamps you know trying to find something like this and then you have to go home and wrap your mind around why nothing ever happened with it it's got to be a challenge definitely but i will tell you a really funny story real quick just because i was in new orleans on a search and um, that was on the unexplained, actually, the, uh, the one where the guy went missing in New Orleans. Yeah. And uh, so we were in and out of all the homeless camps. Yeah, I remember that, and, yeah. Uh, and uh, talk about hot and dirty and sweaty, and it was in the middle of the summer. Yeah. I was walking down a street in the French Quarter, and uh, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, appeared a Secret Service guy. Then pretty soon there was two of them. And uh, as I'm standing there, you know, in my ratty search clothes and I'm hot and I'm sweaty and alone on this street, um, here comes Bill Clinton. <laughs> no way. So I actually met Bill Clinton. <laughs> 
<laughs> and what's funny is that it's really classic because because um, he walked right up and shook my hand and shook my hand and I said I don't know if he thought I was homeless or what. <laughs> That's right. He might have, right? He might have. Yeah. <laughs> but he came up and shook my hand anyway, so it was kind of really funny. That is a great story. Yeah. Yeah. The, the last thing in the world after a day like that. You, you know, you don't want to meet anybody, never mind right. the president, president of the United States. Yeah, that's amazing. That's that was a good story. That was that was actually the, the case I was uh, thinking about when I was thinking about just being out in the hot, hot, you know, doing doing your work. Um, how many people uh, and this would probably come more from mediumship than anything, but uh, how many people in spirit? from your own experiences um, want their crimes solved. And if yeah. they do, uh, what would be their aim in that? What would be their purpose behind wanting it solved? And for those who don't, maybe why not? That's a, such a good question. Just in my experience of um, talking to spirits that have been, that have been, you know, murdered or died in a violent way. Uh, their answers are really kind of interesting. Um, and in the dream, like I told you in the first segment, you know, she left her body before the violence happened. And I've heard that over and over and over from spirits that they, they take off before, before the violence. So they're not as traumatized as we, um, we think they are. That part, and as far as justice, um, they don't have the same concept of justice that we do actually. So they typically, what I've been told is that they want, um, they want their family members to have peace. That's all they care about is their family members. So if there's a family member that just cannot move on and is really struggling and has to have some sort of justice, then that's the only form that they really want it. Yeah. That makes it, they don't need it for themselves, but they want their family members to have whatever is going to allow them to sort of heal and move forward. Yep. Yep. That's, uh, uh, that's the answer I gave in my book. Uh, that's my own experience as well. Um, uh, in fact, it, it, it seems, it seems to, they just want us to be happy. They want us to, to, to be happy. And, and that if, when you recognize that about your loved ones in spirit, you recognize that their motives, their motives, um, in a lot of the things that they do that will answer a lot of questions for you. Do, do I need to fly across the country to visit their grave? No, not, not if it's a financial <laughs> burden to you, you know yeah. what I mean? You know? Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, do I need to buy a $8,000 casket instead of having them? No, you know, it's like not if that's difficult on you, they want us to be happy. They want us to be comfortable. They want everything. Um, and I, I found that across the board and, and it's great to hear, you know, that your experience involving violent crimes is pretty much the same thing. Also explains why some might not be um, solved. Uh, sometimes if the truth comes through, you mentioned in an email to me that a lot of them just want to be remembered more in the happy times than as how they died, correct? I, that's the only time I've ever actually felt frustration coming from spirits at all is that that everyone's obsessing over what caused their death and and forgetting about you know the whole life they lived before that mm. and 
And some spirits have, have really expressed a little bit of, you know, frustration with that because that's, that's not what they want people to obsess about and what they want to be remembered. They want their life remembered. That's a super powerful message there. You know, people should rewind that and listen to it again. I think it's really, really powerful. Uh, I, I, my work with people um, who have taken their own life, uh, same exact thing. So many people are focused on the suicide when that same person did amazing things throughout their life, all kinds of wonderful things, lots of loving moments, whatever it may be. There's a whole lifetime before that. And then uh, for some families, that uh, all gets forgotten uh, and they're just focused around the suicide. It's, mm-hmm. it's sad yeah. in that way. Um, and like you said, frustrating, frustrating for the loved ones. You have also worked as a medium giving readings for families of murdered victims. Um, and these family members have special concerns, you know, their own fears, their own questions. Uh, what are some of the more common concerns that come to mind that you've recognized in working with these families? Well, you know... <clears throat> What's, what's interesting is that um, there's, this, there's this really odd um, need to hear the details and the truth about what happened to their loved one. And, um, and I always try to avoid <laughs> uh, as much of that as possible because I don't, what if I'm wrong? I don't want to be telling them all these gruesome things if I'm, I'm wrong. Um, so I try to, I try to steer them away from that conversation, but I have found repeatedly that that's one of the things that they push for is they really, really want these details. Um, I think it's that they're, they're just desperately trying to understand what happened and, and, um, somehow assimilate everything, I guess. Yeah. Okay. It's hard to sort of hard to understand, but I see that as really common. Um, and the one thing, like I said over and over, I've been really able to tell them is that you know they don't. A lot of times they leave their body. They don't suffer the trauma that we we're imagining in our head. You know, we're we're imagining the worst of the worst, and and truly they've already you know they're out flying with the angel. <laughs> they uh, yeah. they left already. And what a one, and again, another super powerful message here, I think. Uh, and you, and you said it right at the beginning, uh, where you did that. I mean, when she was in the car and left to fly off with the angel long before the violence even started, mm-hmm. um, uh, even if, well, I, and I believe they are, I don't know what your beliefs are. You know, they're still aware of what's going on, completely detached from their bodies from, from this, um, not, not absorbing, not experiencing any of that pain. Uh, but that was way ahead of time. Uh, they know what's going on though, right? Yeah. So I have another one that's a really an interesting one because this girl, I did a reading with her, um, a mediumship reading with her and she had been stabbed, um, She'd been stabbed by a person she was dating and trying to break up with. And um, I think it happened in a park. And so she stumbled. She'd been stabbed several times in the chest. She stumbled over to uh, the, the nearest house, and she knocked on the door, and she asked for help, and she collapsed on their porch. Yeah. And I think she died in the uh, ambulance or something on the way to the hospital. 
so when I did my reading with her, um, it was really amazing because she kept telling me that she was numb. She didn't feel any pain. She said she felt warmth, um, but that's all she felt. And she was saying it was like she was a zombie or something. She said she just, she didn't feel all that. Cause that's what was so upsetting for her family. Just yeah. those moments. And, um, she kept saying, I didn't feel any pain. I didn't feel any of that. She said, I was just sort of in shock and sort of just going through the motions. I, uh, I had a Facebook, uh, post recently that we talked about this idea of leaving their bodies before, you know, before the pain and suffering. And, uh, interesting, a whole bunch of people who had had near death experiences commented that that was their experience as well. Um, and, and these are people who obviously didn't die. They died temporarily, uh, came back, but that was their experience as well. Never experienced any of the pain and suffering until they came back into their body. And, and then they dealt with the healing part. But right. um, but the actual violent crime, if that were it, or the impact of a of a, a vehicle crash or something like that, they said they they didn't experience it at all. It was amazing to see how how many people are out there and probably never told their stories to anybody else, you know. But right. they're sharing this with other people on Facebook. I think it's amazing. It is, and um, it's comforting to know that it's comforting. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Hmm. Um. So I got one question here. We're running long, but this is such a rare opportunity to have you here. Um, I'm not worried about it. I know people are going to be interested in this. Um, again, in your in your course for psychics and mediums who want to become psychic detectives, I highly recommend it. I'm going to tell everybody about it. Um, shout it from the rooftops about how good this course is. Um, you teach... You teach psychics and mediums to use sound ju judgment before helping. And one of the things you say, you know, never contact the family of a victim, uh, including on social media, because that's a whole new thing. That you, and, and always wait until you're asked by police to help. It's almost, you know, it's like you could, you, you could say that a million more times just to <laughs> make sure it gets through, right? Always wait until the police ask you to help. Um, my question, though, in relation to this is how... Have psychics or mediums ever become a murder suspect because they presented information without being asked? <laughs> well, you know, it's really kind of funny because I have a personal story about that, actually. Good. So I had a client that uh, I had a client that called me on the phone and and um, he was gay and his partner had gone for a walk and never came back. And um and they lived on some property, just a few acres or something. And um, I think he waited nine months before he called me. You know, they had done massive searches and not found him. And and so nine months later, this guy calls me and, you know, says, can you help me find this guy? And I um, I hung up and I did my reading on him. And uh, called him back and said, you know, I think he's on your property. I said, I don't know how you could have missed him, but I'm pretty sure he's on your property. <clears throat> and I described this little creek, dark, dry creek bed and this little shed. And, and he said, you know, he said, I know exactly where you're talking about. And he said, you know, we searched it, but I'll go back and look. And sure enough, they went down there and they found a skeleton you know they found the skeleton remains oh. 
and they called the detectives and, you know, it turned into a crime scene. Yeah. Well, I never heard anything from those detectives. They never called me. And, um, and I thought, well, you know, that's bizarre because you would think they'd want to know how I knew where the body was. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, know? you would think they'd at least go, Hey, thanks. Or, you know, Hey, who called you or yeah, something. I never got anything. And, um, and it wasn't until recently I actually, uh, through a different law enforcement friend, found out that, that he was a suspect for a long time. So because he was a suspect, they thought that I was in cahoots with him. Oh, my God. Yeah. And so instead of seeing me as being the one that helped, they saw me as being a potential potential suspect. Yeah, yeah. And what a great way to pretend you found the body or you know where it is. Mm -hmm. Psychic told me. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. yeah. But that yeah, certainly, this that certainly could be an issue um, for any psychics or mediums who sort of force themselves on the family or the police by giving them this information, especially if um, they're somehow connected, uh, like you were connected with, you were friends with this guy. Um, and, um, you know, but even if not, if for whatever reason, they're, they, the information is so accurate and they, they can't fathom how else you would know that except for being involved that could certainly happen and another good reason wait till the police contact you well that's the thing you know all the things that people come to me with about uh, their complaints about trying to get their information to the police you know is they're going to laugh at me or they were rude or they don't believe me how do i get them to believe me yeah i hear that one all the time how do i get them to believe me well if they contact you and they're asking you, then you're already, you know, 20 steps ahead. Yeah. But if they don't know you and you're coming at them unsolicited, of course, they're not going to be, um, you know, open-minded necessarily. That's right. It, I, I always say it's like if you were a mechanic and you had some celebrity's car in there broken down and 60 people called you all with a different, well, with different degrees of uh, knowledge all telling you how to fix this person's car. <laughs> yeah. You know, after a while, you'd just be hanging up the phone and going, stop calling me. Yeah. It's yeah. that. But, um, and I know people want to help. I get that. I understand that, that they want to help. Um, yeah. But really get trained and know what you're doing. And there are ways to approach once you're trained, uh, yeah. cold case departments and stuff like that. Once you know what you're doing and you're willing to test on solved cases. Yeah. There's a way to do it. It's, you know, cause people are like, well, you know, how are they going to know to call me? How are they going to know me if I'm, if I'm nobody? Um, well, I believe that the universe has a way of making things work out. And I just believe just like, you know, I've always told my students when the students ready, the case will appear. Yeah. And it seems to happen that way, you know, every time where it just sort of enters their world in a roundabout way. And I always tell them, well, you must be ready because the case is here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. And that certainly was your story. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and, 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 and uh, you've had, you had many students that uh, you've always 
been able to see the same thing happen. I mean, you also must have to, uh, you must get information on cases that you're not going to work on all the time. I mean, especially high profile cases that you see on the news type of thing. Do you pick up stuff and, uh, but you, you, you've learned to have that surrender. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I know something, but can't work on all of them. I actually don't. I actually, um, don't watch the news very, yeah, okay. very often. Um, and I used to do it because I knew that there was a good chance I might get called on some of these cases and I didn't want to be front loaded. Good so news. I would sort good. of shield myself from them. Yeah. Um, and sometimes they were incredulous. Like, where have you been living under a rock or how do you not know any of this? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I sort of shield myself from it, but I also don't, I don't like to pick up uh, things that I, that are, are not going to be helpful that I have to carry around now yep. energetically or spiritually or whatever. Right. I don't want to pick up stuff that isn't necessary. I have enough that is necessary that I don't want the extra that's not. Yeah. So I tend to avoid all that. Uh, you, so you work psychically. Do you work with uh, guides, uh, the same maybe team of people in mm -hmm. spirit all the time? Mm -hmm. You do. So you're able to trust. That's a nice thing. You're able to trust the them. You know who they are. Uh, you know, know how to work with them. They know how to work with you. Right. <clears throat> I actually have a guide that works specifically with me on crime stuff, which is kind of interesting. Oh, so. interesting. Uh, that is cool. Mm -hmm. uh, let's talk about some of these organizations that are near and dear to your heart. Again, projectsearchforhope.org.org. Um, just tell us a little bit about that again. Yep, I founded it just a few years ago, and it's it's really um, where you know I got frustrated with uh, never hearing anything back sometimes on these searches or them not following up on them at all. Yeah, um, I decided that I would take matters into my own hands and create a, an organization that would be search. Uh, that's what I like about it is that we're actually on the ground doing searches yeah. and. I have, you know, retired detectives, retired FBI. I have, um, and on my board, I actually have victims advocates because they can help sort of navigate um, with the families that, you know, are struggling. Um, so there's a, um, and then I have people that are, that are, trained with me and I know that they're competent and I know that they're consistent. So I have those intuitives. So I kind of combine the both of the, those things and see what we can do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and including, uh, what are the cadaver dogs or whatever, uh, mm -hmm. that help. So you have different people in different parts of the country that you can call upon when needed. Sometimes yeah. people might need to fly out there. I imagine is this is where some of the <laughs> money goes that is donated to you to help with the travel costs that, et cetera. That's pretty much what all of the money is for is for, um, for travel costs. Yeah. 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 Well, Cause most of the people are volunteers. You know, most of the people are putting in their time. Uh, and volunteering. It's just a matter of getting getting a team out there. That's beautiful. So people can help by actually donating money to the organization, but they, you also have a little store on there. People can buy some products that help um, mm -hmm. help to support the, the project Search for Hope uh, yeah. as well, right? Yep. The International Remote Viewing Association, you've been the president for since, what, 2012? Is that what it is? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. What do you do with that? Um, so, you know, I was... I was introduced to remote viewing some years back 
And uh, actually, I guess Bevy, the one that I told you about, my mentor, she was really interested in, in remote viewing. And I finally started formally studying it probably about uh, four or five years ago. And, and some people are a little confused about what remote viewing is, but it's just a system. It's a, it's a systematic way of being psychic is really, yeah. is really kind of the way it is. But there's, there's a protocol that you follow and a step-by-step procedure and anybody can do it. You don't have to be naturally gifted or naturally psychic. Um, it's just a matter of following these step-by-step sort of protocol. Yeah. But they always work blind. That's the condition of remote viewing. They work completely blind. With uh, They don't even know that they're working on a missing persons case or anything. They work completely blind. Yeah. And I have found that it's really a great tool for um, locations, for describing locations, because I can stay in a session a lot longer than I can as a psychic. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so I could probably do a session by myself and stay in there for like two hours. Why is that? Um, I don't know if it's if it's I don't know if it's just the beginning steps that puts you in touch with the with the target, but you actually can get to this place where you're having a three D experience of the location. Mm. So you can actually take your consciousness there and feel like you're there and you can explore. And, um, I can do that with a monitor. I can do that with somebody on the phone asking me questions, Yeah. but to be able to do it by myself is a really exciting, cool tool. So that's what remote viewing's taught me. Beautiful. Uh, you also do some stuff, uh, at Marival, uh, Mm. Arizona, uh, what is this? I know spring 2015. Maybe you got something coming up. What is this? Maybe, yeah, we're looking at it. Uh, we got a big conference coming up for for uh, the International Remote Viewing Association in uh, in June. So uh, we'll see if I can squeeze in another trip to Miraval. But uh, we're, we're, the conference, the remote viewing conference, is going to be in uh, New Orleans. You know, I've spent a lot of time now. I'm I'm fond of New Orleans, so we're going to go to New Orleans. But, um, yeah, Miraval is is really a a wonderful place because it's it's a healing, you know, it's it's a healing spa. It's it's one of the most spiritual spas in the world, I guess, is what what they say. But, you know, for me, with all the work that I do, it's really important to be able to go and – heal and take care of the you know take care of the healer healer yeah. heal myself if you were to if you were to do if you do a workshop there is that going to be for psychics and mediums is it for the public what would that be for usually when i do those uh, at miraval it's it's about um it's for anybody so it's about people that are wanting to learn how to use their intuition and how to tune in and and uh all of that and it just so happens that you're at a place that, you know, there's all these, all these uh, meditation and yoga and any class you could imagine that you want to take yourself. So it's really sort of a holistic sort of experience. Yeah. Yeah. My wife's been there, I don't know, probably a few times um, <laughs> and absolutely yeah. loves it. And, and love, you know, you, you can do two, two or more, you know, 
different sessions, whether it be a massage or something with Wyatt Webb and the horses. Yeah. You know, there's just so many cool things to do there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could do two or three a day and still there'd be plenty that you didn't do. Yeah. Uh, while you were there. Uh, your psychic detective certification course, this is uh, at pamcoronado.com. Links below. And, and you decided to do this just, you've had 18 years or more experience doing this. You wanted to help other people uh, get into it as well, right? Well, you know, yeah, there, there was a lot to it, but, um, you know, it took me a long time to learn and assimilate all this stuff because I had to make all these mistakes in the field. Yeah. So if I could help others, you know, avoid some of that, at least some of the pitfalls that are out there and, um, it's just a lot of information. It's a lot. I realized how much information I was holding in my head and I decided I needed to let it out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that's part of it. But also I was trying to find a way to certify people that wanted to work in my organization right? in a way that I could, um, because we're using public monies, there's got to be some sort of a standard set. And, and so that was another part that I wanted to do. And, um, it just, you know, it all sort of came together that, um, the, one of the things I always say to people is, you know, we're all in this together. Anybody that's calling them a psychic and is out there and functioning in the world, we all sort of get, um, labeled or stereotyped together. So if I can get people out there doing better work, yeah, um, it's going to reflect on the whole so for me, as much as I can contribute to get people to do better work and and behave in an ethical and grounded way, then uh, it really does reflect, you know, on all of us. Wow. You're speaking my language. Yeah, I, I love yeah. that. Thank you. Um, uh, I, I love when anybody's doing that kind of a thing uh, because psychics and mediums are real. They do amazing work. Uh, and I say that as someone who is not a psychic or medium myself, and um, and 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 I think the biggest obstacle to more people utilizing the the abilities that you guys have is skepticism, and um, and a lot of that skepticism comes from you know some of the people who are we'll say uh, beginners at it, they're inexperienced, they're 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 giving a bad name to mm-hmm. the people with more experience and more training uh, and more natural ability and, and, and higher ethical and, uh, standards and, and more integrity, that sort of a thing. And, and it just happens to be one of those subjects where when there's one bad subject, uh, one bad, yeah, one bad psychic, um, the story gets blown up and everybody stereotypes everybody else who's doing it. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know why that is. It just seems to happen. And, um, and, and so it, it requires a hundred times those uh, to have credible, reputable psychs and mediums out there to make up for those few stories that exist. And uh, so anyways, thank you for that. I also want to say you, you give readings. Uh, you give mm-hmm. psychic readings, uh, mediumship readings uh, uh-huh. privately, right? Privately. Yeah, you know, and it's funny because people are, uh, used to be afraid to come to me because they didn't want to disturb all of my important work. Yeah. And I always say, you know, it really makes me feel good to help people that are not in crisis, <laughs> the people yeah. that have normal problems and 
just, you know, normal stuff. That for me is a break from all the heavy, heavy, heavy stuff that I deal with. Uh, that's really nice to hear. I, uh, I, I'm going to get a reading from you sometime because, uh, because I was so impressed with what you did. And when you're able to do it so well, as well as I witnessed on all the shows that I've seen you on, and uh, I don't care, uh, I don't care how how much they edited it. You, you, I recognize, you know, mm-hmm. a good psychic remedium when I see one. Um, and not only that, but the process that you use in delivering the information uh, with great responsibility. Uh, I. Uh, I don't even have to have had a reading with you to tell my audience uh, this would be a great person to get a reading with. And, and, and I think I hope people will line up and start calling you because I think they, they'll have an extraordinary experience with you. Like you said, when you can do it under the circumstances of violent crime uh, so well with that kind of pressure and then be able to just take a person who's going through life without that kind of background and give them a reading, uh, that's, you know, that's good. That's going to be like someone who just went through a depression and now they're not living. <laughs> You know, they don't have it anymore. And the little things that happen in life that might make other people depressed, they're like, oh, that's nothing compared to what I just went through. You know? <laughs> well, you know, the thing, I guess, I guess for me, it's kind of like, um, you know, crime happens because people are broken. Um, so if you could sort of fix what's happening at home before, I guess I'm all about prevention. So, yeah. so really, the more you can fix and the more love you can spread now, you know, uh, the better off we'll be. Cause, cause really that's, that's what it all is, is, you know, it's, it's just broken. It's broken people hurting other people. Yeah. 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 You're right. And, um, it's true. And, and Hey, broken people need love too. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we try to get them before they're broken. Try to try to not have them get broken. Yeah, and that's what your readings can do for people. I, I appreciate that very much. Final words. Uh, we've gone way over here, but wow, what an amazing, what an amazing uh, chat we've had here today. Final words. Nearly twenty years of doing this work. Uh, if there were one thing or a couple of things, what ha- do you think you've learned that has changed the way you live your life? Wow. Um, well, you know, I used to live my life in a small little box. It was just me and my family. And, uh, and now, of course, I'm all about service. So it's completely changed my focus from being here to out there. Yeah. Um, so it's changed my whole world it's view in that respect. And I really tried to be careful not to <clears throat> let it get me um, bitter or afraid or, uh, fearful. I'm probably a little more overprotective than your average parent. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I have to admit, you know, (laughs) um, (laughs) and I am definitely more, you know, aware of the kinds of things, you know, that happen out there. Right. Yeah. But I also have a lot of, um, compassion. And I think that, um, like I said, you know, I view crime probably differently than than a lot of people do because I I recognize that you know, from a spiritual level, um, there's there's all kinds of things about it that we don't understand. You right. know, that's true. 
That's true. Uh, you said in your course um, uh, to help people sort of find the balance uh, that you're talking about here uh, and not get overcome by, uh, by the negativity that you're working with. Uh, mm-hmm. is to focus on the love that, that is in your life and, and it's all around you. And, and I thought that was just great advice. And uh, I, I think each and every one of us could do that, to try to uh, stop thinking about the things that we're worried about, the problems that we're having, and focus more on the love that's in our life. That would lift anybody up if you just took five minutes a day to do that. So uh, mm-hmm. just more great advice from your course. All right, Pam Coronado, uh, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, I've learned a great deal, and, 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 and you know, uh, if you ever need Afterlife TV to help you with anything, you certainly let us know. Uh, uh, we love the work you're doing, so thanks so much thank, for that. Thank you, Bob. All right, it's and we, we do a little thing. We just do a little Afterlife TV wave here, so just say goodbye to everybody. Bye. Bye. <laughs>